All right, well, good to see you in the house of the Lord this evening. Let's take your Bible and turn to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. You know, you can take heart, Andrew. One of the things that has always been true is the remnant is usually right. The minority. <laughs> Even though you're on the left. <laughs> anyway. Acts chapter 4. <clears throat> Let's read verses 1 through verse 31. <clears throat> the context, just a little context before I start reading. Uh, Peter and John have been going up to the temple with the hour of prayer, and they were preaching there, and they also healed the lame man that was there. And then there was people wondering all about this, so Peter s- starts to preach, and that's the context. And here's what happens as a result. Chapter 4 and verse 1. And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captains of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that he taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They laid hands on them and put them in hold until the next day, for it was now eventide. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000 came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. When they had set them in the midst, they asked, For what power, by what name, have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole? Be it known unto you all, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is a stone which is set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in the other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. And they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Beholding the man which is healed, standing with them, they could say nothing against it. When they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them, as manifest to all them dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them, that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. For the man was above forty years old on whom this miracle of healing was showed. Being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. When they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David hast said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together, for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. 
And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness we may, they may speak thy word, by stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. When they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. So the title of the message tonight is Responding to Persecution. Responding to Persecution. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for uh, your holy word. Thank you for we can have a copy preserved for us in our own language that we can study and uh, show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed. I pray that you would speak to our hearts and encourage us by their example tonight, and uh, that we'd learn and grow and be uh, more conformed to the image of our son, your son, and Father, be steadfast and unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it is during times of suffering, afflictions, and persecution that really reveals to ourselves what kind of relationship we really have with the Lord. Uh, it really reveals who we really are. You know, many, many in times of trial and hardship become discouraged and despondent, um, bitter, and turn away from the Lord. But what does that reveal about us when we do such things? You know, what does that reveal about our relationship with the Lord? And as we examine the response of the apostles and the members of the early churches, you know, it challenges us to the validity and the strength of our relationship with the Lord. It really does. But I want to notice three things here tonight as we consider this in responding to persecution. And this, this is the first example. This is the first example of persecution to come upon the early churches after the crucifixion of Christ. You know, they, you know the, all the prior persecution was aimed at him. But he's gone. And now they're doing the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So now, the, now it's directed at them. And, of course, Jesus told them in John, 16, or John 15 and 16, that before he left them, before he was crucified, they hated me, they're going to hate you. They persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. And he said, I tell you these things beforehand so you won't be offended. So in other words, don't be surprised, it's going to happen. And it did, of course. And it still does. But we'll notice their, 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 the, how they responded. First of all, their steadfast relationship with the Lord. In verse 8 of chapter 4, notice you know, Peter's response. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if... We this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole. Be it known unto you all, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which is set in not of you builders, which is a quotation from Psalm 118, I believe it is. So they were familiar with that, which is become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. And then in verse 13 says, And when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, perceived they were unlearned ignorant men, they marveled and took knowledge of that they had been with Jesus. Now, note, these men were, you know, when challenged, when harassed, when threatened, or even beaten, as we're going to see in chapter 5, they didn't seem to skip a beat. I mean, they didn't, they weren't shaken. They didn't seem to be moved by it from their mission or their purpose. They didn't, they didn't seem to change anything. 
Uh, and I believe that's, there's several reasons for that. But number one, they were convinced of their relationship with the Lord. They were convinced. Notice what Peter says to them in verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You know, they were convinced of the relation. They knew that they were accepted, as Ephesians 1, I think it's what 1, 6 says, were accepted in the beloved. They knew they were in the kingdom of God. They knew they had been born again. They were convinced of that, thoroughly convinced of the relationship with the Lord. And they could not be shaken from it. They had the presence of God dwelling with them. Uh, they were convinced, secondly, of their authority. In other words, of their right to preach the gospel. If you notice in, in uh, uh, chapter 4, verses 19 and 20, Peter, ans- Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So, you know, they were convinced of their authority, that they'd been commissioned by the Lord. You know, they, they, you know, they were commissioned in Matthew 28 to go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have told you, uh, what I have commanded you. You know, in Acts 1.8, just before he's ascended, again, he said, you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. But you'll receive power to do it. And so they were convinced of their authority that they had been commissioned as ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Paul would later write in 2 Corinthians 5.20, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, be reconciled unto God. You know, so we are ambassadors. They, they had been commissioned as ambassadors. You know, and an ambassador is someone sent given authority by the one sending. And Jesus said, all power is given unto me. Go ye, therefore. So I am sending you. I have all authority. I am the, the authority over all authority. And so I have authorized you to go and preach the gospel. And nobody has the right to say, you don't have that right. No one. So when the Pharisees, and Jesus knew this would happen, he says, so when, you know, when the Pharisees come to you and say, you know, we don't want you preaching anymore in Jerusalem, they don't have a right to tell you that. Because after all, I made, I made this world. This is my world. I made it. So they were convinced of their authority. And a third thing I want you to notice, they were convincing in their conduct. Notice again verse 13. It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. In other words, you know, Jesus has spent three and a half years preaching and teaching throughout Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, and the area surrounding Galilee and so on. So, you know, these, these men, these, these Pharisees and you know, the high priest, they were all familiar with the conduct of Jesus and how he preached and how he ministered and so on and so forth. You know, he didn't go, about, he didn't go around, you know, offending people or being... Na- and, and now, when I say offended, he offended a lot of people. 
because he told them the truth. He told the truth in love, but as we're going to see that many times will be offensive to many. But, but he didn't go around purposely. He wasn't arrogant. Uh, he wasn't unkind. Uh, you know, he, he, he wasn't condescending. And, and these people just acted like him. They conducted themselves like him. They, they responded to what the Pharisees said with truth. You know, one of the things Peter's going to tell them is, you know, Jesus Christ, whom you crucified. Was that true? Oh, yeah, it was true. It was true. Everything he said was true. You see, you know, they weren't arrogant or condescending. They were not afraid nor disrespectful. Yet they were truthful and plain. Again, notice verse 18 through 20. He says, And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And then again in chapter 5, and of course the persecution continues, chapter 5 and verse 29, Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. We've been commissioned by God. And we ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. You know, and, so, you know, and we are his witnesses of these things, and so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. When they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. So, so you know, think about what they're saying here. They're saying to these men, these wicked men, they're saying that, you know, you, yeah, you slew him, but him hath God exalted to be a prince and a savior to give repentance unto Israel. Well, they were part of Israel. So this is offered to you too. So they were convincing in, in their conduct. You know, and some, even though they were offended... But, you know, when you tell someone that Christ died for our sin or for their sin, you really what you're saying is that you and I's sin was the reason for his death. Now, that could be offensive. It is offensive to some. Some people don't receive that too well. Because it, it implies guilt. It declares guilt, that they are guilty before God. You know, so they were convincing, you know, we ought to speak the truth. Of course, Ephesians 4, 14, 15 says we're to speak the truth in love. 1 Peter 3, 5, 15 says, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Be ready always to give an answer to every man of the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Um, so the word meekness, you know, not, not, we're, not to be, we're not to be domineering or condescending or that kind of thing or arrogant in our answers but we're doing it with meekness, you know, we're strong to give, to glorify God and not glorify ourselves. Moses, that's what Moses did. That was Moses' style leadership as well. So this, so this was, we see their steadfast relationship was the first thing. Secondly, their refuge, and uh, uh, we find this uh, in verses 23 and 24. There are several things here. First of all, they shared with the church. This is their refuge. They shared with the church 
the, this situation with the church for corporate prayer, prayer. Notice verses 23 and 24. Being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. So, so the first thing we see that they did is when they, after they were threatened and they let go, they went to their company, they went to the church and shared this with the church. Now, we might say, well, they should have talked to God first. Well, you know, they went right from there to the, to the church. This, this, there's nothing wrong with this. This may seem out of order, but it is important. It's important. Uh, you know, when you think about what the Bible says in other places, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and verses 25 and 26, the Bible there says that, uh, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another, and whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. So, so this is what they were doing. They were going and reporting to this to the church, because after all, it's only a matter of time it's going to affect the whole church. And it did. And so they shared it with the church. You know, Galatians 6, 2 says, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So they shared with church for corporate prayer. You know, Jesus said, Where two or three of you are gathered together, there I am in the midst. Uh, you know, there, there's you know, individual prayer is good. But corporate prayer is greater. More people. Right? In Acts chapter 12, of course, Herod beheaded James, and then he put Peter in prison for the purpose to bring him out and execute him probably on the morrow. But verse 5, there's a word that changed everything. But prayer was made of the church without ceasing unto God for Peter. You see... James 5.16 says, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now, there is much accomplished through the prayers of God's people. So the first thing they did was they went and shared it with the church. The second thing they did was they, of course, as the church then, they sought the help of the Lord. In verses 24 through 30, it says, when they heard that, they lifted up a voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up and rulers were gathered together against the, council, against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod, Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined beforehand might be done. And, and, and notice in verse 29, And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. Now, as I was considering this today, something struck me. And notice, notice a couple things here, first of all. The first thing, that they asked for boldness to continue to preach the word. They asked for boldness. Verse 29. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings. You know, these threatenings are real. But grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. And that prayer was answered. Verse 31 says, and they spake the word of God with boldness. So, so they asked God for boldness. 
You know, Paul would ask people, his, his, those he wrote to at Ephesus, you know, pray for me and I might have boldness. Boldness to preach the word. And so they, they asked for boldness to continue to preach. They also asked the Lord to do that which pleases him. Now, in verses 24 to 28, you know, they, they lift up their voice to God with one accord. And so, and they, and they quote a lot of scripture here. And then verse 28 concludes this with this way. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before it to be done. Now, particularly they were speaking about what would be done to Jesus, but it's also what will be done with them. What will be done with them? You see, they are acknowledging that God is sovereign. And for, for him to fulfill his purposes through their lives, however he saw fit. You see, they are acknowledging that they were simply vessels to be used for the glory of God. If that meant deliverance from these evil men, great. Wonderful. But if that meant to be beaten, or imprisoned, or put to death, that was okay too. You see, they understood their lives were not their own. They belonged to God. They were His children. And He had a right to use them to glorify Himself in however He chooses. You know, isn't it kind of... Sometimes you wonder, okay, why did James get beheaded and Herod didn't behead Peter the same day? And... So why James beheaded and Peter escaped prison? You know, that'd be a good question to ask the Lord when you see him. But we do know this. We don't know what James would have done throughout his life or what effect he may have had. We know the effect Peter had. He ended up clear over in Babylon preaching the gospel. Uh, you know, why didn't... Why did God allow Stephen to be stoned? He was, he was a mighty, he was mighty in you know, preaching the word. He had great wisdom. Well, I believe a direct result of that is the Apostle Paul. You see, you know, Pete, you know Peter, and Peter had said in Matthew 19, 17, we have forsaken all and followed thee. And, of course, Jesus said, if you don't hate your own life, you cannot be my disciple. In other words, you love me more than you love your own wife, life. Your wife, your life. Yeah. Uh, you know, or your children or whatever, your own life. So, the, as far as the disciples were concerned, the apostles here, they were not, protecting themselves was not their first priority. The glory of God was. Look at Acts chapter 20, and we see this, Paul declaring this basically in Acts chapter 20 and verse 22. He says, And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions bide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, 
so that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. You know, he was the one who wrote to Galatians in Galatians 2.20 and said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, these men weren't, they weren't concerned about, do we live? What they were concerned about and consumed with is, is God glorified? Is God glorified in my life? However long that may be or however short that may be. See, God was their refuge. Psalm 6-8 says, Trust in Him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Psalm 91-2, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. In Him will I trust. You know, it was Job who said, Though He slay me, yet will I trust in Him. See, Job understood, Deuteronomy 33-27, that says, The eternal God is thy refuge. Eternal God. And, and so these men were more concerned about what their God wanted from them and desired of them and how to please Him than they were their own safety. Their own safety. Now, I'm not saying they ran into it. They, they looked for trouble and ran into it. But they were, in, in carrying out the command that God given them, they weren't going to be turned away from that responsibility by a few threats. Then notice, thirdly, you know, this is, that's their refuge. Thirdly, their, their response, uh, and again, this may seem a little foreign to us, but the first thing that I want you to notice that they did is they rejoiced. You say rejoice? Yeah, they did. I know that sounds strange. Verse 24, when they lift, when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. Now, the word lifted here means to raise, to excite. To excite. And if you go to chapter 5 and verse 40 and 41, it says, And to him they agreed, and whom... When they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for his name. Suffer shame for his name. So here we see they, they, they rejoiced. They went to their own company, reported, and it says, and they lifted up their voices. They rejoiced. It's just, the word lifted here is the same word that's used in uh, Luke 17, 12, and 13, where it says, And as he entered a certain village, there met him ten lepers, men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. You know, this was a, they were lifting their voices in excitement and hope. Have mercy on us. Look at, look at Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 10 through 12. Matthew 5, 10 through 12. And this is what Jesus has taught his disciples when he 
took them through the discipleship course uh, on the Sermon on the Mount. And Matthew 5.10 says, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted the prophets which were before you. So, you know, we're not to go around hoping people persecute us. We're to go around telling people about the Lord Jesus Christ lovingly and, 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 and you know, talking to them about the Lord, but when there is persecution, it is really proof or evidence of the validity of our salvation. But it also gives evidence that we are having an effect. Uh We're having an effect as a witness for the Lord. You know, if, 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 if you are faithful in giving the gospel, you're going to get some kind of response. Some may get angry. Some may get upset. Some may get offended. And some may respond in a positive way. Uh, you know, and if the gospel you give to someone does not trouble or offend their pride or even possibly make them angry at you, it's a very good possibility you're giving a weak or a fake gospel. Because the gospel is offensive. It is offensive. You know, in Matthew 18, 3, Jesus said this to his disciples. He said, and said, Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. So you have to, and he's talking about it, and the next verse talks about you, except you humble yourself as a little child. So, In order to receive the gospel, you have to be willing to humble yourself. And many people aren't willing to humble themselves. Therefore, just like the Pharisees, they get angry. And they lash out. The reason they lashed out at Jesus and crucified him was because he was having an effect. He was affecting them. The reason these people are lashing out at the disciples is they're having an effect. After all, 5,000 got saved after that lame man was healed and Peter preached to them they were having an effect two different directions some were responding positively humbling themselves before God others were responding negatively angry upset and lashed out at them but either way they're having an effect either way they're having an effect you know think about it when Jesus in his witnessing he pointed out people's greatest sin. In, in, in uh, John 4, the Samaritan woman, what was her great sin? Immorality. And Jesus pointed out to, him, to her. Now, she responded positively. But when the rich young ruler came around, and he, well, he prided himself in keeping all the commandments, and Jesus said, one thing thou lackest. Go so all thou hast. And give them to the poor, and then you come follow me. He was offended at that. Because he was covetous. And he was not willing to give up his money to follow the Lord. 
he wasn't what the really the reality is he wasn't willing to give his money or let the Lord control his money. You see. Even Zacchaeus. Now, the Bible doesn't specifically say that Jesus said something to him about overcharging people, but Zacchaeus responded to that effect. He said, if I have taken anything wrongly, I will restore fourfold. You know, when Peter dealt with Simon in Acts chapter 8, he said, Simon, your money is going to perish with thee. And what you're offering for your own gain is wicked and devilish. That's my revised version of that, but that's, that's basically what it told him. You're in the bondage of iniquity. So if a person reacts angrily, maybe, to you giving the gospel, and you haven't been arrogant or rude or any condescending or any of that nature, it's proof that they were convicted. You know, they, when, when, when Stephen preached that message, they were convicted. They were pricked. In fact, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 37... When Peter preached that message on the day of Pentecost, it says, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. And said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? In chapter 5, when Peter again preaches to, these same, to, the, to, the, to the leaders there, he says, when they heard that, they were cut to the heart. So they were pricked. They were, they were convicted of their evil. So the disciples were having an effect. Go to uh, 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. And verse 13. Of course, Peter understood this. 1 Peter 3 verse 13 says, And who is he will that harm you if you be followers of that, of that which is good? Now you would think, that's kind of a rhetorical question, you would think that if you are a follower of that which is good, nobody will do you harm. Nobody would think evil of you. Is that the way it is in the world? Mm-mm. No. But, verse 14, If you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. Be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience that, whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. So you don't, want to be, you, don't want to be, you don't want to suffer for evil-doing. That doesn't bring glory to God. But if you suffer for doing good, Peter says rejoice. You are having an effect. And so they were rejoicing that they were worthy to have an effective witness, ever worthy to suffer for his name. You know, Paul in 2 Corinthians 2 and verses 14 through 16, he talked about, you know, how his ministry affected, or, or God manifests himself to everyone, where it says in 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16, Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. Now, 
I used to think when Paul went to Athens, he, he didn't have any really much effect there. But he says that Christ causes us, God always causes us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. So he made the knowledge of Christ known at Athens even though they scoffed and mocked. He had an effect. Now, for we are unto God, verse 15, a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one we are a savor of death unto death and to the other a savor of life unto life. So some it's, uh, it brings to a realization that they're headed for death. And it's a warning to them to others, it brings life, eternal life. So some respond positively, others react. Some in Israel responded, you know, Nathaniel, you know, his first reaction was, really, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And then after he met the Lord Jesus, he said, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. You know, the Pharisees, on the other hand, said, we're not, we haven't been born of fornication. What they were saying is, you were. And, and then, they said he cast out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. And when he said, before Abraham was, I am, they picked up stones to stone him. So, Jesus had an effect on them. It made them angry made them angry. You know, if you make somebody angry with a faithful witness, don't feel bad. It's just their way of reacting to you, to the witness. Not to you, to the witness. You know, Paul was angry. or I shouldn't say Paul. Saul was a very angry man. But that very angry man eventually surrendered to the Lord. Sometimes it's the angry ones. I remember my father-in-law saying one time that uh, about um, this fellow, I'm trying to remember the name, Claire Bell Melnick, Frank Melnick, he was Catholic, I think. John Winstead, who was very blunt, John Winstead from right over here in Bun area, Bill Winstead's brother, he was an evangelist, and he was very blunt, I'm told. Very direct. I always thought Bill was, but they said, hmm. <laughs> he didn't even compare to John. But anyway, so he preached up in that area around Mount Union where this Frank Melnick lived, and they went to see Frank Melnick. And he made him mad. And, 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 and John Winstead would, would say things, well, at least we made him mad. He'd say stuff like that. But it made him mad, and so the next night he goes and hears him preach. And to make a long story short, he got saved. You see, that was how he responded or reacted to the gospel. See, some people need to get, you need to get them mad. You know, I, I fear that sometimes we're too careful not to offend that we don't give people the truth. He told the Pharisees, 
yeah, you are blind, and therefore your sin remaineth. Well, that'd be kind of hard to swallow, wouldn't it? That's what he told them. So, they rejoiced because they were having an effect. They, they, were, they, were, you know, they were being used by the Lord, even though it brought this, this violent reaction. But then I notice the second thing here about their response. They continued to love the Lord more than man by keeping His commandments. Again, we looked at some of this already, but uh, in verses 18 through 20, it says, and, But Peter and John answered and said, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Uh, again, in chapter or verse 29 to 31, And now, Lord, behold, their threatenings grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. When they had prayed, the place was shaken, where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. Chapter 5, verse 28, saying, Did not we straightly command you that ye should not teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. Tend to bring this blood, man's blood, upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered. Now, this isn't just Peter and John. This is all the apostles now saying, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you slew and hanged on a tree. And, 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 and him hath God exalted with his right hand, be a prince and a savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And then again in verse 42, after they were beaten, and daily in the temple and in every house, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. So they continued. You know, this is, this is demonstrating that they loved the Lord more than they loved man, and they feared the Lord more than they feared man. You know, it kind of reminds me of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Standing before Nebuchadnezzar, the greatest, most powerful man on earth, in verse 16 of Daniel 3, 16 through 18, it says, And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship thy golden image which thou hast set up. And to that, of course, he throws them in the fiery furnace, and they said, you know, we're not, we're not careful to answer thee in this matter. You know, we've, we thought this through. We know what we're doing. Um, but notice what the king says about them after they don't get burned. In verse 28, then the king, then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. See, this made the king realize, look, these men would yield their bodies to serve their god. Or as they acknowledge that God, their God is sovereign, they are in his hand, they are in his watch care, and they will, they will, not, they will, they will die before they deny him. They will trust him with their lives. They yielded their bodies. Didn't John, 
Jesus say in John 14 that if a man keeps his commandments, that my Father will manifest himself to them? And here we see in Daniel 3, God manifesting himself to these men who kept his commandments. Of course, Daniel, in Daniel chapter 6, Daniel's expected not to pray to any god for 30 days besides the king. What are you going to do, Daniel? Daniel says, I'm going to take it to God. And chapter 6, verse 10 says, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. He says, I'm going to continue worshiping the God I serve. I'm going to continue praying to the God I know. The real God. You see, in times of persecution, times of affliction, we just need to be steadfast in our relationship. We need to trust God as our refuge. And just continue. We to rejoice in the Lord and continue to love Him and serve Him as we did aforetime. You see, the world ought not to determine how I live for the Lord. It ought not to dictate my life. It's supposed to be directed by the Lord. And he didn't say, if it gets tough, then you can slack off. You don't have to, you know. He didn't say that. It was never easy for the Lord Jesus. He was wanted at Jerusalem. He knew he was wanted at Jerusalem. Before he was actually crucified there. Remember his brothers said in John chapter 7, Go ye up to the feast. He said, I go not up yet. He said, my time has not yet come. In other words, not time for me to be crucified. That's what he meant. My time has not yet come. Not time for me to be cut off. He said, but your time is always. In other words, they weren't saved. They weren't living for the Lord. He said, you know, it isn't going to be a problem for you to go up because you're a part of them. But later he did go up. He did go up. But see, we just need to be faithful. Just need to trust the Lord uh, until he comes for us and be faithful as witnesses for him.